Please welcome Cheryl Broderson. As I was sitting there, I was thinking about the fact that Brian and I came to Vista 32 years ago. He was asked, he was only, I think, 23 or 24 years old. You guys are probably faster at the math than I am. He he was asked to preach from uh, Pastor Chuck Eason, who had Calvary Chapel Vista at that time. You know, you remember that. And uh, it was Brian's um, first time preaching, like preaching, preaching. He was the junior high pastor, and now he was going to be talking to adults. And I remember I was so nervous. I was pregnant with Kristen, who's now 32. And I just sat there going, oh, Lord, please help him, please help him, please help him. He's preaching. And there were all of like 10 people there. And I'm like checking out all their expressions like, you like him? You okay with him? And then two years later, Brian was asked to come and take the church in Vista. And he was all of 26 years old, and I was 23. And we were the pastor and his wife. And as you can tell, we've aged since then. Boy, a lot of life has happened. Um, my daughter Kristen, as I said, she's 32. She lives in New York. Um, New York. She has two sons, Kate and Ryder, and they used to love me. But you know, FaceTime is hard, and it's just some old lady. I, I kid you not. I went to FaceTime them, and I even was scared of my own image. You know why you wait? It's like, oh, would I want to talk to this woman? I don't think so. You know, I'm trying to, you know, like back away from the screen. What is safe? And then my son, Char, who is hyperactive, had detention every day at this school. He's 30 years old and a pastor. So that's amazing. He has two little boys. They're, they're two and three. When I FaceTime them, I always get the honey bear. And I make the honey bear keep walking across the screen while I'm talking to them. They're like, what's up? Because otherwise they won't stay and talk to me. But they're, they're interested in the honey bear. I'm like, what? What do you see? Grandma, there's a bear. Where? Where's a bear? Grandma, it's a honey bear. And I make the honey bear look at him, peer into the thing, you know, and I don't see any bear. Anyway, you do what you have to do to get attention as a grandmother. It's just the way it is. Um, My daughter, Kelsey, she was um, a baby. Maybe you remember. She used to say obnoxious things to everybody as a child. Uh, She's married to a godly young man, which is just amazing. And she's been married for a year, and uh, I asked her to give me a baby, and she told me that was weird. Um, (laughs) Then Brayden, my youngest, he's 22. He lives in New York City with Kristen, and uh, he's a computer, um, I'll just say it, he's a genius. He is amazing. He builds websites and things that I don't even understand, and he speaks computerese as well as a little bit of Japanese. I guess that all goes together. But it's just, it's just amazing to be here with you. Um, it seems so familiar and yet so strange. I was down here just a few weeks ago. Um, I must confess, I was at the outlets with a friend. I had a speaking engagement in San Diego, and so I said, let's stop on the way because the traffic is so bad. And she wanted a cup of coffee, and I said, oh, you've got to go to the best place in the world. It's called the Coffee Merchant. Best vanilla bean coffee you've ever had. I was thinking back 
18 years ago, not realizing that that much time had passed. And I went to the Carlsbad Mall, and it does not look the same at all. And I asked this girl, where's the coffee merchant? She's like, the what? (laughs) You know how they kind of have like, oh, lady alert. (laughs) And I was like, the coffee merchant. Like, you know, maybe it's a different language. Merchant. You know, the, the place that had the really good coffee. Uh uh-uh. Well, when did it leave? I don't know. I never even saw it. There's like a coffee place like up there. I mean, like, not even like where, like first floor, second floor. <sighs> second floor. You know, we went by it and it was like, no. No, we want the coffee merchant back. Did it move or did it just leave. Does anyone know gone? Okay, thank you. Well, that, that solves one mystery in my life. Okay. Do you want to go ahead and stand up? Let's go ahead and stand up. We need a little stretch. I plan on speaking for like three hours, so let's just get it. Just kidding. All right. Let's go ahead and um, pray right now and just Just dedicate this time to the Lord. Lord, these are your women. They belong to you. They are precious in your sight. Lord, I thank you that you are a God of love. And as a God of love, you must express that love in the greatest show of compassion. Lord, I pray that not one woman would leave this place feeling unloved. Not by the King of Heaven. Not by the Lord of Glory. Not by the one who knows her downsitting and uprising. Not by the one who is acquainted with all her ways. Not by the one who calls her beautiful, desired, Hepzibah. Lord, I pray that every woman would know that she knows that she knows. That no matter what her age, no matter what her weight no matter what her situation or whether she's organized for Christmas or whether she's put the lights up or not, that she is absolutely qualified in Christ for all the riches of your love. Lord, I thank you that it's going to take you an eternity to explain and declare to us the height, the depth, the width of your great love. So, Lord, I pray that you would just implant in our hearts tonight just a morsel of the greatness of that love. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, but before you are, will you tell someone Merry Christmas? Because who knows how long it's going to be legal. Thanks. weeks ago. That was more than Merry Christmas. Come on. It's my turn. A few weeks ago, I was preparing um, to speak someplace. And I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't hearing it. And I wanted to hear it really bad. And I kept mulling over the message. 
And so I typed one out. I typed a message out, and it was a, it was a good message. It was an adequate message. I had uh, great examples in it. And I, I typed it out. I went downstairs. And when I got downstairs, and I wasn't feeling at ease about it. When I got downstairs, the Lord spoke to me and said, you want to hear the real message? <laughs> and I got a piece of paper, and I just began to scribble the message down. And then I went up, and I deleted the message I'd written typed up because that was a Cheryl message and I begin just to write the message that the Lord had given me and I'm glad he did it before I had to speak I still had like three hours but I want you to know I typed up a message for tonight and while I was sitting there the Lord said want to hear the message you're going to give them I'm like no <laughs> I love to be prepared I'm a woman that loves routine. I mean, my purse is getting too small for me. I I usually have a bag and a purse. That's how ridiculous it's getting, you know? Because I have all these attachments now. So when the Lord says this, and I'm excited because there's a new message that he has for you. And the message really is when love came down. But the message is of his great, great, great love. And let me just say this, that there's no one in this room that feels deserving of that love. And I know I don't. I don't. And I know that there are times that I think maybe he could love me because he said he did. But I have deep, deep insecurities like all of you. So I know I'm not talking to strangers. I'm talking to friends. We're women, and we carry these deep, deep insecurities. And we cover them up by makeup, and we cover them up by outfits, and we try to hide them, and some of us overcompensate for shyness. But deep down inside, none of us feels worthy of such a love that came to Bethlehem. None of us feels worthy of it. And I think that's why God has to declare it over and over and over again in the scriptures. But you know, it wasn't heard Though God declared in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Israel didn't hear it. They didn't hear it. I think they didn't hear it because of discipline. And sometimes when we go through chastening and we get caught in sin, we feel like we're not loved. But it's just the opposite. The Lord chastens us because he loves us so much. And he says, not for my child. Not for my child. I'll be honest. I really didn't care what your children did. I cared about what my children did. You know, I mean, if your children goofed off, that was your problem. But I didn't want my children making me look bad. You know, we care about our children. And so we discipline our children. I disciplined my children. It didn't work, but I tried. So we discipline our children because we love them, and yet we misinterpret God. When he disciplines us, we're saying, you don't love me. Because if you love me, you just let me get away with everything and eat chocolate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And never gain a pound. And never have our faces break out. That's what real love is, right? No. And so Israel misinterpreted it. It because they, they didn't understand why God disciplined them, why God didn't want them worshiping idols and things that couldn't profit them. He didn't under, they didn't understand why he disciplined them and didn't want them sacrificing their children to idols. They didn't understand. And so when God said, I love you, they didn't believe him. They also didn't believe them, him because the devil lied to them as he lies to us. 
The devil is always telling us that God does not love us. He said it to Eve, our great, 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 grandmother. And he says it to us. He says to Eve, God doesn't really love you. Look, he's given you a restriction. I mean, Satan didn't say, look at all the trees you get to eat of. No, he said, look, God's keeping this one thing from you. He doesn't love you. God doesn't want you to be all that you want to be. He doesn't want you to reach that full potential, so he's withholding from you. And Eve believed it. She took a bite of that apple. And it has caused problems for all of us women ever since. And it is hard for us to believe that God really, really, really loves us. Not only because the devil is always whispering to us that God doesn't really love us, but there are people, I call them disqualifiers, all over, that are trying to make us feel less than. Oh, that's an interesting color you're wearing. (laughs) You know, like, oh, that's the type of Bible you read. (laughs) When you grow, when you grow. You know the disqualifiers? And there are people that are always making you feel like maybe you have to perform, you have to do something else. And so we really, we've really lost the concept of love because love has nothing to do with performance. You know, dance, kid. I never did that to my children. In fact, they were always doing these shows for me and we prayed they'd stop. <laughs> But none of us really, really feel loved. I remember sitting at the table with my, with my dad and saying, Dad, people come up to me and they say, are you Chuck Smith's daughter? And I say, yes, and I think I'm lying. Why is that? He goes, I don't know. That's kind of weird, honey. I'm like, I know. <laughs> but, you know, there was times that I didn't feel worthy of my dad. I mean, he got kind of (laughs) well-known. I know who I am. And there are those times where we've got this heavenly father. And there's no way we're worthy of him. We know the thoughts that we think. And we thank God that he guards our mouth and nice things come out instead of the thoughts we're thinking. You know, you jerk, you sweetheart. Thank you, God. And because we know those thoughts, or we know those insecurities, we know those deficiencies. They say when a woman looks in the mirror, she sees 10% of what she really is. Do you think she sees a good 10%? No. She misses the 90% that's okay. You know, your hair might be all right. You might have done your eye makeup right. But what do you see? My nose is so big. Oh, that me. That's me. Or look at all those lines. Oh my goodness, it's more than I can count. Brian's so sweet, he said to me, yes, but they've fallen in pleasant places. David says, my lines have fallen in pleasant places. But that's what we see when we look in the mirror. We disqualify ourselves when we look in the mirror, don't we? Come on, you do. We just all do. 
And it's so hard for us to really, 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 really believe that God could actually love us. Underneath this necklace, I'll just show you, I've got a dove. And it's got diamonds and a mother of pearl. It's so not me. But I was at a retreat. And this girl came up and she said, don't look at me. And she began to put this on me. And she said, don't look. Don't look at what I'm doing. Don't look at me. I'm like, okay. This is not going to be easy. I'm feeling something around my neck. And I did say to her, you're not going to kill me, are you? And she's like, no, no. No, you'll see. And she said, but I want to say something to you. She said, what I'm giving you is very, very expensive and very extravagant. And she said, because there's going to come a time when you're going to doubt the love of God. And you're going to look at this stuff. And you're going to know that God loves you so very, very much. That some unknown woman came up and put this on your neck. So that when you looked in the mirror... You wouldn't see what you don't like. You just see that death and the love of God. Well, I went back to the room to see what I was wearing, and I thought, that is so not me, but that was so sweet. And I put it, I wore it the rest of the retreat because she was there. <laughs> and I got home, and I, I just put it, I put it away so I could wear my cheap costume jewelry, right? I put it in a drawer, and it sat there for five years. And this summer was a really, really, really hard summer. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I've never been so slandered in my life. I've never been so lied about. If there was one thing I never, ever, 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 ever wanted to be, it was the pastor's wife of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. But I, but I like the guy who's doing it. What can I say? <laughs> I'm in love with him. But I never, ever, ever wanted to be in this place. In 1994, when we were still at Vista, my father called us and he said, Cheryl, God's told me that Brian's supposed to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And you know what I did? I wailed. I went, no! I said, Dad, I love Vista. I love this area. You move down here. We'll let you have Wednesday nights. (laughs) Don't make me go up there, Dad. I, I left. I fled Orange County. I don't want to be there. Brian came home and I told him he tried working at Costa Mesa, doing both. They just didn't work out. He came back to Vista and he said to me, Cheryl, do you think, do you think that we're called to Costa Mesa? And I said, I dread the thought. I said, take me to England instead. And he said, that's where we're going to go. And I was like, oh my goodness, now what have I done? And we moved to England. We weren't being a Jonah. We were being prepared for something. And we came back and we've served for 13 years. And just standing close to my dad has been hard. I absolutely adore him, love him. And I talk about him in the present because he's up in heaven having a great, awesome time. And he is more alive than he's ever been. But I, but I say this because... This summer, when it began to start in earnest, because there were some people who would do anything to keep Brian from being the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I will tell you, and I know you might object, 
But let me tell you from my point of view, Brian Broderson is the godliest, most dedicated, committed man to Jesus Christ and to his wife and children and to the people of God that I have ever met. And I know you feel that about your pastor, and I'm proud of you. But I have never had so much respect or love for any man in my life as I do for my husband, Brian Broderson. And to watch him go through that killed me so much. Because I thought maybe I was the problem. Like, maybe if he got a better wife, he wouldn't be going through all this. And so I opened my drawer, and I looked down, and I saw that dove. And I remembered, sometime, you're going to need to know that Jesus loves you. And that he loves you extravagantly. Don't look at me. Just wear this. And I put that dove on. And I haven't taken it off since. Because you know what? I'm like you. I forget that Jesus loves me so much. Sometimes I think, wow, I hear the lie. I didn't think I was a Calvinist. I didn't think I was a merchant. I, I thought I was born again. I've always wanted Jesus. Yeah, sometimes I've, I've actually held the, had the feeling like I'm hanging on to Jesus. He's like, get off of me. I don't want you. <laughs> no, I want you. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Cheryl, I've got you in the palm of my hand. Nobody can take you out of my hand. It's not you holding on to Jesus. It's Jesus holding on to you. You cannot be disqualified. The Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. But you see, we forget, we dismiss. Because we forget, we forget what happened 2,000 years ago. We forget the incredible miracle that happened 2,000 years ago when love came down. Love came down for all of us. Travel with me, would you, to Bethlehem. Let's go down the cobble streets, down the Roman road that led to Bethlehem. It's crowded, I know, but we can make it here. It's full of people bustling around, and the people are so grumpy, they have to pay taxes. They have to get everything together. And these Romans, these soldiers that are there to make sure that every, every single talent is paid to the oppressive Roman government. It's hard. These tax collectors are such cheats. They'll take everything, everything and more that you're supposed to pay. They'll, they'll put other burdens on you. And if you don't pay... They'll turn you over to the Roman authorities and you'll go to prison. It's not fair. It's not right. It's just the way it is. So you have to appear poorer than you are. You have to hide whatever assets you have and hope that they don't discover them. Travel with me down the streets of Bethlehem and we find an inn. The inn is overcrowded. It's like walking through a fortress. 
Because all we have on the outside are clay walls with no windows and these heavy wooden doors, rough-hewn doors. But we knock on the heavy wooden doors and we ask for entrance and we're allowed in. And what we see is a series of cubicles all about the place with heavy drapes pulled across. Inside each of those cubicles is a family staying warm in the winter. They might have a little fire going in there. Keeping their family warm. And they're snuggled together, usually on straw, with, with a blanket, all of them in bed together, just trying to keep warm on this cold Bethlehem night. But in the middle of the courtyard, we see a rough, a rough wooden structure. Hardly looks like it could stand. Those who are staying in the warmer cubicles have tethered their animals It's a good place to have your animals because you can look through the curtains and any time you can know that your animal is safe. If anyone of the other families tries to take your animal, you can look out and you can run after them and you can make sure that your animal is safe. Perhaps you've got your dog outside and he's also guarding maybe your donkey or your horse or maybe you even brought your cow or your goat so you can make sure that you get your fresh milk in the morning. But you're there, and as you look out, maybe you're in a cubicle. But a young couple has come, and everything is full. It's overflowing. The cubicles are not only filled with men and women, but the children, too. And and there's no free cubicle for this young couple to stay. But as you look, the woman is, is, she's with child. She's about to give birth any moment. And you see the compassion on the innkeeper's face as he looks at this young girl and looks about and realizes there's there's no room. But he's not about to turn this young couple away at the mercy of the Roman soldiers that parade the streets at night to make sure that nobody is leaving. And so... He leads them to the stable in the middle of the courtyard. He bids the woman to lay down on the straw. She's in pain now. She's beginning to groan. Her young husband looks at her, and he's worried, but he's helpless. He he strokes her hair. He rubs her back. But mainly he just looks, and you can hear him praying under his breath. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, your Messiah, your son, oh, bring him forth. Oh, help us, God, help us. And soon the girl gives a slight wail, and a child is brought forth. And we hear the healthy cry of a newborn baby. We look at this child. And he's, he looks like just a baby. And yet there's a radiance about him. There's something that we can't resist looking upon, wondering at. She takes the baby and immediately 
She guards him against the cool breezes of the night, and she wraps him in swaddling clothes, just strips of cloth, really, because this young couple doesn't have much money. They're so ill-prepared for a baby. They're just so young. And so she wraps him in these swaddling clothes, and she lies him in the feeding trough of the donkey and the horse. And then she and her husband gaze, just look, They can't stop looking. Though the mother looks haggard and tired, she won't stop looking at the baby. The father, too, he looks down and he looks as if he's in awe. And his face seems to brighten from the reflection of the child. But, oh my, you're just about to settle back down. And all of a sudden, there's a rustle. There's a commotion. There's the buying of sheep. (laughs) There's a, the rubble and excitement. And there's the smell of shepherds. Men who have been keeping watch over their sheep by night. And someone turns to you and said, Do I smell shepherds? Yes. And they're so loud and they're banging against the wooden doors of the inn. And the innkeeper wakes up and rouses and he comes from behind the curtains and he goes to the door and he opens he says, What? Angels? What? Light? What? Come to Bethlehem? A child? You'll find him in a feeding trough? And he turns around And the innkeeper sees the baby lying in the manger. And he opens the door. And the shepherds are praising God, lifting their hands. And they're repeating the message. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And they come and they bow down before the small baby in the manger. The mother looks on. And one of the shepherds begins to speak. He says, it was pitch black. It was so dark. We're from the fields outside of Bethlehem. And there we were just watching the sheep. When all of a sudden, an angel appeared to us. And the brightness of God shone round about him. And it lit up the field in front of us. And he spoke to us. And he said, do not be afraid. For I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. Yes, even you shepherds. For unto you is born this day in Bethlehem a child who is Christ the Lord. And you will find this babe lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And all of a sudden, besides this one angel, The whole sky was filled with a multitude of angels as far as the eye could see. And they lit up the sky and they lit up the fields of Bethlehem. And they begin to shout together. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And suddenly the sky was as dark as it was before. And we were there with just the buying of sheep 
and the black, inky sky with just a few stars. And we turned to each other and said, did that really happen? Did we really see angels? And we agreed together. We'd all seen it. And we decided to go together with haste. And we came to Bethlehem. And we knew exactly where to go. And we've come to this inn. And here he is, the Messiah of Israel. The angels came to us, lowly shepherds. God cared about us. We're considered abominations. We're rejected by society. Most of us were thieves. And this is the only way we can earn our living, taking care of other people's sheep, maybe even some temple sheep. But here we are. But angels came to us, and they told us that this child is born for everyone. You see, that's what happened the night love came down. As I said before, now I'm not the shepherd, I'm Cheryl. (laughs) Do I look different? Is my mustache gone? I hope. If not, there's laser. But that night, you see, God, God wanted to speak for himself. He was tired of being slandered and maligned and not believed. And so God chose to come as God the Son, as as a baby, as a man. He came to earth. But this is our God. He didn't come and say, all right, I'm going to come as a man. I'm going to suffer three days, and then I'll go to heaven. No. God said, I want to show I want to show my creation how much I love them. I am going to I am going to experience everything they experience. I'm going to come vulnerable as a baby because isn't love vulnerable? Isn't that what happened? I remember the first time I told Brian I loved him. And it slipped out and all of a sudden I felt just naked and oh no. Now he has the power to munch me. And I remember he looked at me and said, it's okay. I love you too. It's like, okay, so that makes everything all right? But I remember how vulnerable I felt. Oh no, this guy's got my heart. He, he could do some real damage now. I had never in my life. Well, in eighth grade I told the boy I loved him, but I didn't mean it. I had never, ever, ever meant it before in my life or, or really said it with meaning. And there it was. And I knew it was true. And I was scared to death. But love is vulnerable, and that's what Jesus did. He became vulnerable. He entrusted himself to the care of Mary and Joseph, and they weren't so good because 12 years later they lost him. (laughs) He was vulnerable. He felt weakness, he felt frustration. He allowed himself to feel everything that we feel. And isn't that what love does? Doesn't love put itself in someone else's shoes? 
Don't you want to know what the one you love is experiencing? Don't you feel their pain? Don't you feel their sadness? Don't you wish you could live it for them at times? When my um, children were little and would get sick, I wanted their pain. When my dad was um, suffering with bone cancer, I asked him, I said, Dad, how's your pain level? And he looked at me, my strong dad, who had never, ever complained about pain in his life. And he said, unbearable. And I said, Daddy, if I could, I'd take that for you. And he looked at me and he said, I wouldn't let you. That's love. That's love. It was love. Love came down and felt our pain. It felt our sadness. It felt our rejection. It felt everything that we could possibly feel. Not coming as a man, but coming as a baby. Knowing even the frustrations of a four-year-old that's told to share. (laughs) He felt everything that we could possibly go through. He lived this life all the way to 33 years. That's love. But not only did he feel our pain, not only did he come as a man, but he showed us what love is. He went about doing good. He fed the hungry. He healed the lame. This morning, actually yesterday, I was reading John chapter 5, where he goes to the pool of Bethesda. And he finds a man and he said, would you like to be healed? And the man goes into this long explanation of everything he's done to be healed. You know, uh, some story about an angel stirring up the water, but he never gets there in time. And if he could just do this, and if this went together, I love the way the Lord just cuts to the chase. Do you want to be healed or not? (laughs) There's other sick people. Do you mind? (laughs) Yes or no? Okay, that's me. He was much more patient. And the Lord heals him. Well, I have to tell you something. I do not like that man. Because he the Lord tells him, take up his mat and go. Now, I don't think that was the only person Jesus healed. I think that's the only one John recorded as being healed. But he's taking his mat, and the Pharisees see him. And they said, oh, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. That's not allowed on the Sabbath. And what does he do? Well, in modern vernacular, he throws Jesus under the train. They probably said, threw him under the chariot. I don't know. But that's what he does. He says, uh, you know... Jesus did it. Jesus told me to do it. And so the Pharisees are already mad at Jesus. Jesus had already warned the man, don't do what you were doing before, lest the worst thing happens to you. I think this man wanted his sin more than he wanted Jesus. And yet, Jesus healed him anyway. Yet, Jesus showed him the love of God, even though he would turn back to his sin. Because Jesus doesn't warn in vain. He loved this man, even though this man would reject him and go and conspire with his enemies against him. Healed 38 years, 
paralyzed, in a bad condition, and yet the moment he's healed, he wants to go right back to what he was doing before. And Jesus, his healer, is standing in his way. Amazing. What love is that? That heals. That heals a thankless person. You know, I don't know about you, but I hate, I hate buying, sacrificing, and giving a present to an ingrate. It's one of my pet peeves at Christmas, you know? You give them a present, they're like, oh, huh. Mommy, do you see what they gave me? Years ago, I had an ingrate. And so, this ingrate happened to ask for a fur coat for Christmas. Her sister gave her a picture of two minks that said, Where is our mother? Framed in a real blinged out frame. It was so cute. And I had been at Ross that, you know, earlier that week. And on the clearance rack for $10, there was a coat that looked like a dead bear with crystal buttons. <laughs> Couldn't resist it. Bought it. Hey, it's $10. Still expensive. Wrapped it in the most beautiful wrapping paper I had. Put the biggest bow on it possible. And put a tag on it that said, to Kelsey, love mom and dad. Well, she kept looking at that present. She peeks, you know. So I taped it up really good. Put it under the tree. And she's like, what is it? What is it? I'm like, I can't wait for you to see. (laughs) Now, Kristen and I knew what it was because Kristen saw the dead bear right after I bought it. (laughs) But Brian hadn't seen it. Yet. Now, Brian's one of those people who says the kids don't need presents, but then on Christmas Day takes credit for all the presents that I bought and wrapped. <laughs> He's still wonderful, but this is just, just one of those things. And he sits right, and he even, he is, I don't know what, what makes him master's, master of ceremony, but he always does. He sits closest to the tree, and he passes, oh, present for Kelsey from mom and dad. As if he wrapped it, put the bow on it, used the glue gun. So anyway, I'm kind of distracted by the grandkids. And I I look and realize, and Kristen's like, mom. And I look, and she's opening it. And and the, the grandkids are kind of saying something. that I have four boys. And she opens the box, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, look what mom bought. And Brian looks at me and goes, Cheryl, where's the receipt for this present? <laughs> Cheryl. And I'm like, yes, Brian, this is ugly. No, no. Cheryl, you cannot give our daughter this present. We, we need to return this. I'm like, I don't know what I do with the receipt. Daddy. She had a pair of boots. I put them in an ugly box with brown paper bag wrapping, and she did later. But later that night, I had a um, party at my house, a white elephant. And there's no way you want to waste a good present like that. So I rewrapped it. And my precious grandson, my precious, they're all precious. This is just the oldest precious. 
He walks over, he's nine, he goes, My dad said to always get the biggest present at any one of these. And he takes that thing and he puts it on his lap. And now my heart is breaking. Because I had Hot Wheels as one of those presents I wanted him to get. And I'm looking and he's got it on his lap and he's just got this beatific smile like, The night is young and wonderful. And I, I just was like, no, no, no. And Brian goes, what? And I go, the bear. <laughs> and he starts laughing so hard, his whole body's shaking. Then I start laughing. Now, nobody at our party knows what's going on, but they're looking at us, and we're looking at him, and they're all laughing, and they don't know why they're laughing. At least we know why we're laughing. And everybody's laughing. And I'll tell you, Cade does not disappoint He gets his chance. It's time for him to unwrap. He unwraps. He throws the lid off and he goes, It was ugly. It really was. I mean, it was like a bear that had mange and it was fake. So that was. But you know, I don't like giving presents to ingrates. (laughs) They get bear coats. Fake bear coats with crystal gaudy buttons. She's grateful now. Lesson learned. But God gave us Jesus when we were still ungrateful. When we were still ingrates. When we didn't care. Love still came down. Even though we were lost in sin. Love still came down. God was so faithful. God still showed us his love, still demonstrated his love, still came down, still loved us. And then as we all know, we're here, we're saved because love took the cross and died on the cross, took our penalty, our sins, all the wrongs we had done, all our ungrateful attitudes, All our rebellion took it on the cross and died for us that we might have all the promises that were his because he was good, because he lived a godly life. We became inheritance of that. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.2, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I was also reading today, about where Jesus said, if you do not drink my blood and eat my body, you have no part of me. John chapter 6. And we're told that many disciples went away thinking, he's getting weird on us. What, What is this talk about? But Jesus was saying, unless you become such a part and parcel of the work that I will do for you, unless you receive the work of your forgiveness through me, you'll die in your sins. Unless you so associate as if to eat me, to become such a part of me and the work I've done, you'll die in your sins. But if you partake of me, you will have everlasting life. Because some of his followers left, Jesus turned to Peter and he says, Peter, what about you? And Peter looked at Jesus and he said, You alone have the words of life. 
Where else would we go? And you know, you might not feel loved at times by the Lord, but where else are you going to go, huh? Who else offers a deal like this? Give me your sin, and I'll give you my righteousness. Give me your burdens, and I will give you my help. You give me your yokes of bondage, and I will give you my easy yoke and my light burden. Where else? Who is offering something like that? Not Macy's. Not Kohl's. Who else is offering this kind of exchange? Who else has words of life and words of love? Who else? God alone has the word of life. God alone has the word of love. You know, chances are this season, you're going to at some point feel unloved. And I wish all of you had a dove like me. I really do. But it's too expensive and I can't afford it. And I still feel like I need it. But you know what? I want you to pretend right now. Because God is putting a dove around your neck. We're told that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in Ephesians chapter 1. Who is the guarantee of God's inheritance in us. You all are wearing beautiful, beautiful doves. All of you. You've been ordained. You've been adorned by God himself with the Holy Spirit, which is much more extravagant, much more beautiful than anything that I'm wearing tonight. But there are going to be times that you're going to feel unloved. You're going to feel unloved when you're in the kitchen making all the food, and they're out there watching football. (laughs) You're going to feel unloved when nothing is left of Christmas but wrapping paper and ribbons on the ground, and you're the one with the hefty bag collecting them. You're going to feel unloved on January 2nd when nobody's around and it's time to put away the Christmas decorations. I guarantee that at some time this season, you're going to feel unloved. But let me tell you, let me assure you, You are loved with an everlasting love. And even though Christmas is just a day and it will pass, the spirit of Christmas is ours forever because it's the day that love came down. And it's a day that no matter what other month is on the calendar, we need to remember and we need to think about that God became a man, that God became vulnerable, that God came down to earth to to let us know, to tell us, to communicate in the most genuine, beautiful way his absolute, great, eternal, unending constant, unfailing love for each one of us. It's an eternal love. Has no beginning. Has no end. And I I just, I want to end with just this. I don't know how Santa Claus 
came into the picture. He's not a loving figure. Obviously, he has a food problem. He requires that people leave him milk and cookies. Doesn't care if you're lactose intolerant or got a gluten problem. You better have that milk and cookies waiting out for him. He comes down chimneys, makes messes of the soot in the chimney, doesn't care that you have to vacuum it or that it might get over the socks in your house. He gives presents only to those who are good, not the naughty ones. So he's performance-based. His presents are toys, which shows you that he's immature and a materialist. He uses elves in the North Pole. Some people would call those sweatshops. He makes reindeer travel. This is why I went with the other Bible study. He makes reindeer travel in all sorts of harsh conditions. Where are the animal activists when you need them? He really doesn't know the children he helps. It's very impersonal. He's just checking a list. And not only that, he's prejudiced against adults. Jesus is so much better. He loves us whether we're naughty or nice. He doesn't come down the chimneys. He takes possession of our houses. He gives us presents that are eternal, like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, which some of you have tried to return. He doesn't use elves. He uses angels and his own word and his own life. He's very personal. He knows all of us by name. He knows our down-sitting and our uprising. He knows all our ways. He knows every word we're going to say even before we say it. Sometimes he's trying to help us not say it. And he requires, he requires only that we respond to what he's already done for us. As it says in John chapter 6, when the people said to Jesus, what labor, what work can we do to get God's favor? And he said, this is the work that you must do to have eternal life. Simply believe on the one that God has sent. How do we come, become recipients of that love that came down? All we have to do is believe that love came down. That Jesus really, really does love us. That God the Father sent his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And again, because it's so hard for us to receive it and truly believe it. God promises us in Ephesians that through the ages of time, through the eons, when we're young again, when we're running, when we're strong again, he is going to take us aside and tell us of the depth and height 
and width of his great love for us. And it will take him all eternity to explain to us the unfathomable depths and greatness of this love. So this Christmas, this season, when everything gets hectic, strange, you feel the deficits, you feel like you're less than, not measuring up, remember that love came down for each one of us individually that night in Bethlehem. And we are all partakers together through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, what do we say to such a gift, such a great gift of your love? Lord, we say, please, please, Lord, let me feel that love. Let me know that love, that love that came, that experienced, that love that understands, that love that reaches out, that love that pursues, that love that forgives, that love that transforms, that love that that moves us. That love, that love that has so much compassion for us at all times, in all ways. So, Lord, I pray. I pray for my sisters here tonight. That, Lord, the greatest gift that they would receive, Lord, that they would receive the consciousness of your great love for them. That not one woman here would feel less than another woman. But they would all know that they are all greatly loved by you. Oh, Lord, speak into them, speak upon them, and move them by Calvary love. In Jesus' name, amen.